Well, good morning, Mosaic. If we haven't met before, my name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I love watching couples interact uh, who've been married a really, really long time. Uh, just because I've been married for 12 years and it feels like an eternity. Just kidding, Nicole. Sorry. She's there. But yeah, I feel like I've been married a long time, but it's really only 12 years. Uh, watching couples who've been married for 30, 40 years interact is fascinating to me. Uh, because love, love is fascinating. Love is intriguing. Love is complicated. Uh, love is all of those things. And so I'm excited to be able to speak today because speaking on love is one of those easy topics to talk about because it's one of those things we all want. Uh, whether it's romantic love or family love or brotherly love, it's that thing that intrinsically we all crave, we all desire. Um, so with that, I, uh, I, I want us to really explore that question today. That question of, is love a feeling? Right? Because this question has kind of been haunting me for this past week. Is love a feeling? Because I think sometimes, because uh, like if you Google it, what I see across the board is love is not a feeling, love is a choice. Love is not a feeling, love is this. Love is not a feeling, love is that. But I don't know about you, but I, I feel love. Right? And so if I say, yes, love is a feeling, uh, then, you know, what, what does that really mean? Because I think sometimes you know, that idea can get a little bit misconstrued because if you're only craving that feeling and that's the only thing that you're after, that it feels very shallow. But then if you say, no, love is not a feeling. Love is a choice or love is works. Love is good deeds or whatever, whatever you want to put after that. If you say no, then how do I explain the, what's going on in my heart? How do I explain what's going on in my soul when I watch couples fall in love in a movie? And then even, like, what is, what, like, this is kind of weird to say, but, like, what's, what's my reward for doing those good things? Like, why am I doing those things if I don't feel anything in doing it? And so I think it's a rather complicated question. And I think it's one that seems like an, it's an easy answer on the front end, but is actually kind of difficult, and it's kind of philosophical for us to really fully explain or talk about so today, I want to prepare you on the front end. There's nothing going to be ridiculously profound about today, but it's going to be one of those days that I just want to sharpen one of those tools that you already have. I want to sharpen something that you have in your tool belt already and make that tool stronger, better. Uh, because love is so intriguing. And so I ran a little uh, social media experiment this week. And so what I did is, is, if we're friends on Facebook, you probably saw it. Uh, if we're not friends on Facebook, hit me up. Come on, let's become friends officially. Make it Facebook official. But I put a question out there and I said, uh, what is a movie that shows true love? What is that movie that shows true love? And I purposely left it kind of broad because I really wanted to see how people responded to that question. Uh, and it was fascinating the way that people responded. Partly because usually when I put something on Facebook, I get like two likes. And I get maybe my mom comment like, cute picture. <laughs> or my weird aunt is like, did you get my card, Billy? Uh, so I, I post this question and it ends up getting like 100 comments. Because we all love love. We all have this intrinsic desire. We all have this curiosity about love. It's that thing that we all want. 
And so it, it was fascinating, though, seeing all of the responses that I got back. I want to share some of those with you guys. Uh, one of the very first ones was uh, the movie Up. That short little montage at the beginning of the movie where the couple falls in love. They have this amazing adventure together. They go through good times. They go through hard times of infertility. And then they go on these adventures. And it's this roller coaster where you're laughing, then you're crying, then you're hopeful. And then you're like, what just happened to me? Disney manipulated my emotions once again. Right? And then another one uh, that I love is Life is Beautiful about a father and a son. And the father is trying to protect his son because they ended up in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. And the whole time he's trying to convince his son that this is just a game. This is just a game. So that he, he doesn't have to fully experience the tragic, tragedy of the situation. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, Juno, the love of a birth mom to her child as she places it for adoption. Uh, one of my favorites, Harry Potter, Right? Harry Potter, such a beautiful love story. It really, really is. And I, I remember reading the books and watching the movies and just seeing like Snape's love for Harry's mom and that everything that drove every decision that he made. Um, and then, but what was so fascinating about uh, that little experiment was uh, the way that people responded, because I know a lot of my friends fairly well, the way that they responded was how they wanted to experience love for the most part or how in their life they showed love. Uh, it, it was really, really intriguing. So like I noticed a lot of my friends who wanted to experience romantic love in their life, that's how they would respond. Uh, my friend Eric, he, re, he responded with this movie uh, called About Time, about this guy who can time travel. But then at the end of the movie, he chooses to be present where he's at. And he has this line where he talks about my extraordinary, ordinary life. And embracing that. And if you know my friend Eric, you know he's the kind of guy who sees people that no one else sees. Like his life looks very ordinary, but he's living this extraordinary life. That's who he is at the core. That's how he wants to show love. And that's the kind of movies that he loves to see. Uh, 50 First Dates was my brother-in-law, who just likes to laugh and have a good time. I love my brother-in-law. Oh, this is an interesting one. My friend Katie's his therapist, so hers was a movie called Dirty Filthy Love about a couple with OCD that fall in love with each other. Of course, a therapist would like that movie, right? Uh, My uncle posted a movie, Secondhand Lions, which I hadn't heard of, but it's about some uncles that uh, bring in their nephew. So I was like, at least I know I have a place to go if I ever need it. Uh, oh, also, the, my friend, she posted the scene in Love Actually where the guy shows up at the doorstep and he has like the cue cards and he's expressing his love for her through written word. And what's so fascinating about that is that's how she fell in love with her husband. I was really good friends with her and her husband and her husband would always write her letters, uh, even in the up and down of the relationship. And that, that's how she experienced so much love from him. So of course that scene speaks to her. Uh, my friend Jackie, she said gladiator. And if you know Jackie, she's, she's, she's like an amazing female leader. She's, she's one of those people that's constantly trying to pursue uh, making good in the world. She's an author. She's a coach. She's a motivator. So, of course, a movie like Gladiator is going to be like, that's, that's who I want to be. That's how I want to live my life. Uh, my friend Andrew said dumb and dumber. <laughs> the bromance. He's a bro. He does CrossFit, so I guess that's appropriate. No offense, I probably need to do a little CrossFit myself, but 
Uh, but also what was really fascinating was a lot of my friends who are married and kind of in the thick of it with just the craziness of life, they just ignored the post altogether, <laughs> right? Because life gets crazy. Love is crazy. Uh, but I think if you were to truly even take that question and, and kind of internalize it for yourself, is like, what movie pops into your head? What movie pops into your head and how, what does that reveal to you about the way that you want to experience love? What, is, how does, what, what does that reveal about the way that you want to give love in the world? Um, does anyone, because also with that, the overarching theme that I saw in every single post that people put on there, every single one, you could actually tie back to uh, love is one of the most heroic actions a human being can do. Love is one of the most heroic things that a human can give to another person. And when you look at all these movies, that's the overarching theme is like, it's heroic love. It's sacrificial love. It's love that costs you something. It could cost you everything, but they're choosing love at the end of the day. And does anyone, do any of you guys kind of, have you heard about the history of Valentine's Day? Not many of us. Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Uh, so there's a lot of legends around Valentine's Day. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's not a lot of like, this is exactly what happened. Uh, we don't know, but one, the most popular legend was about this, this guy named St. Valentine around the third century in Rome. And he was arrested because he was illegally marrying people, which is like, well, that's weird. How come you can't marry people. And it was because at the time, according to the legend, that the emperor Claudius II had put a decree that no one could get married because he was trying to build a strong army and single men who weren't tied to family, who weren't tied to homes, made better soldiers. So he said no one could get married. But St. Valentine chose to marry people anyways, and he was imprisoned for it. And then in prison, he became friends with the jailer And then the jailer had a blind daughter, and so he asked St. Valentine to pray for healing of his daughter, which he did, and the girl was healed. And at the end of St. Valentine's life, he sent a letter to that girl, and at the end, he put, from your Valentine, which is part of why we give Valentine's cards, which is why we say, uh, we call people that we we love our Valentine. Uh, Now, like, we're not 100% sure if that's actually historically true. I mean, it was all History Channel stuff where I found this stuff, so I don't know if you can trust the History Channel. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But a lot of the other legends around these other characters named St. Valentine's, they, there was all a common thread. Just like there was a common thread with all these movies, there's a common thread. And that common thread was every single one of them died for their cause. That's something that they believed in so much, it brought them to their death. And so Valentine's Day is rooted and shrouded in the heroic. It's rooted in the fact that someone can believe in something so much that they get killed for it. And so I wonder if we kind of have done the opposite to Valentine's Day, right? So it's estimated that Americans will spend $20 billion this year on uh, Valentine's Day. billion, it averages out to about $100 per person in the United States of America. Uh, And it's all, so I wonder if instead of focusing on the chocolate or the romantic love, if we could kind of reframe Valentine's Day as the day of heroic love. 
The day that we choose heroic love for that person that we love, that day that we choose heroic love for that person that we're connected to that has very little of it. So I wonder if we can, even this Valentine's Day on Tuesday, we can choose heroic love and we can choose that. Because for me, I think that sounds like a much better love, that love can be heroic and love can be these heroic actions. Right? And if you know me, I, I, I literally almost named this message today, uh, love is not a feeling, love is action. Because if you know anything about me, I, I love action. When there's something that needs to get done, I love just getting in there and doing it. When, something, when there's a problem that needs to be solved, I want to be part of it. Uh, my spiritual gift is getting my hands dirty. Right? When I get stuck behind a computer screen all day, I, I, I die there. So for me, internally, like I love action. I love doing things. But as I was really diving into this question this week of, is love, of just, is love a feeling or is love action? What I began to find is that it's a much deeper answer than just saying yes or no. And so what I want to do is we've been kind of exploring the book of Revelation together. And I want to look at one of the letters that Jesus wrote to one of the churches in Revelation chapter 2. And so we've kind of been in in this book, Aaron's been teaching through it. Uh, And if you remember, chapter 1 of Revelation is really an introduction. It's really just kind of introducing, setting the scene. And then the whole point of the book is that this letter is getting sent out to these seven churches. And there's very specific words that Jesus wants to say to these seven churches. So we're going to look at the first one today, which is the church in Ephesus. So Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, if you have a Bible or if you want to look at it on the screen, it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So remember, uh, Revelation is, is shrouded in symbolism. And so who we're talking about here is Jesus, right? So let's just This is Jesus who wants to communicate something to the church in Ephesus. And what he writes is, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Right? So this is, he's saying a lot of good things to this church. Right? He's saying, I know your deeds. I see all those good things that you're doing all the time. These are good. I see your hard work. You guys are working so hard. I see your perseverance. That even in the midst of how hard it is, you guys keep going and you keep chugging on. And then he also says, you've tested. You test those people who claim to speak truth and you test it against scripture, you test it all the time. You're not just accepting it and embracing whatever people say, but you're taking uh, the scripture seriously and you're really trying to, trying to make sure that you guys are speaking truth in everything. And then he says, you have persevered and you've endured hardships. You've even endured hardships for my name, right? So this sounds like a really healthy church, does it not? That they're doing good things. They're working hard. They're taking the scripture seriously. They're, they're, being, they're pursuing truth all the time. Right? This, this, this seems like a very, very healthy church, but then Jesus has a criticism of them. It's a very serious criticism that he says, you need to address this right away. 
And what he says is, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. All right, so Jesus is like, you got to take this very seriously. Like he's saying, you got to turn back. You got to turn back to that love. Because he's telling them, he's like, you're doing all these good things. You're doing all these things, but you've lost love. They've become the embodiment of what Paul writes to the Corinthian church that you hear at every single wedding. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. See, they're working so hard. They think they're doing all the right things. They're in this routine. Right? But they've lost this love. They've lost the love, right? Can you relate to that in any way? Has any part of your life ever just become so routine where you feel like you're doing the right things? You feel like you're doing what looks like loving, but you've lost that love? I know I have. I know I've experienced that before. And I feel like what, what Jesus is really trying to communicate is, is the word that he used when he says forsake. Uh, the Greek word used there can literally be translated as left. Like you left it behind. Like you leave your car keys or you leave your wallet at a restaurant or you leave your kid at the grocery store. Right? Hey, it happens. Don't judge. You leave those things, but you can get it back. It's not like you lost it and you can't find it. It's like, no, 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 you left it behind and you can get it back. You can get it back. You just need to find it again, right? And so how? What are they looking for? What type of love are they looking for? And that love is, is, is rooted in 1 John chapter 4, where it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then this line right here, it says, we love because he, Jesus, first loved us. When we're rooted in that love of how much and embracing and remembering just how much Jesus had loved us, right? That's going to drive us towards those good things. And Jesus is trying to say to them, you forgot this. You forgot this. You need to come back to that. You need to come back to why. Uh, when I think about this situation, I, I think a lot about giving your kids chores to do. Any parents in the house? Right? You ever try to give your kids chores to do? They're always like, oh yeah, sure, I'll clean the toilet. No problem, mom. No problem, dad. Oh, sure, I'll sweep the floor. Yeah, yeah, obviously. No, it's the opposite. It's like, I gotta sweep the floor. And then they literally put the broom twice over the floor and you have to go back over it anyways, right? Like they reluctantly, they don't want to do it. 
but they feel like they have to do it. They're not doing it out of a love for you. Sorry to tell you that. Right? They just don't want to do it. They're just reluctantly doing it. And this is when I see this in my mind. I see this uh, with that church in Ephesus. But the opposite of that is when someone does something for you that's rooted in love, how does that feel? When someone doesn't do something reluctantly because they feel like that's what they have to do, but when it's something that they want to do, how does that change in your heart? I know that's big for me. So like the last two weeks, I've spent so much time doing home renovations. Uh, We've been knocking down this load-bearing wall. And like all the time, I have friends asking, like, can I help? And so my friend Nick, two weeks ago on Monday, he texted me and he said, hey, do you need help knocking your wall down? And this was like 8 o'clock at night, 8.30 at night. And he came over and stayed till 1 o'clock in the morning helping me knock this wall down. And then he came over two nights later and he said, hey, do you need help with your electrical? And he spent an hour up in my attic rerouting all this electrical stuff because I'm like, I'm not touching electrical. I have no idea what I'm doing here. I can knock down a wall, but I'm not messing with wires. Um, And then my friend Shane said, hey, can I help you build some temporary walls? And then another friend said, hey, I'll help you get a building permit and I'll help you get this giant beam so that your ceiling doesn't cave in and I'll help you install it. And so all these people did this not because they had to do it, but because they wanted to do it for me. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's moments like that. It just, it fills up my love tank, right? It fills up, like, I just, I love them so much more because this sounds really selfish, because they did stuff for me, <laughs> Right? But it, because it's because they, they didn't have to do it, they wanted to do it. And it just shows the depth of a friendship. It shows the depth of a love when someone wants to do something, not that they have to do something. And this is the situation of the church in Ephesus, right? They're doing all these things because they feel like they have to do it. But Jesus is trying to tell them, like, I want you to do these things because you want to do it. And if you just get rooted in how much you are loved, then you will be able to embrace that And so when I say, is love a feeling, like my heart screams, yes, right? Because the love that I have for my family, the love that I have for my wife, I feel it. And you know what else I feel? I feel when we're disconnected. I can feel it when we're fighting. I can feel it when we're in conflict. I can feel it when I'm annoyed. And I can feel it when that conflict gets resolved. Like I can feel something deep inside. But in that feeling, it's a compass. It's like something's off. Something's off. I got to fix this. We got to do something about it, right? Or it's like, no, this is right. This is the way that we should be going. This is what we should be doing. And so when I say love is a feeling, think of it not as something that you just want to receive, but as a way of like, it's like an internal compass that you know when you're headed the right direction and you know when you're headed the wrong direction because love really, it is a feeling, and love is an action. And, lo- and true heroic love is when those two things get married. When feeling that love and choosing action, when those things get connected, that's when love becomes alive. That's when love explodes. And so I wonder if today we can experience, and how do we experience um, just that type of love? Because if I'm just totally blunt and honest, when I, when I look at the church today, specifically the church in America, I think we are just like the church in Ephesus. 
And I think if Jesus was going to write us a letter, I, I think he would say very similar words. I think he would say, we're doing a lot of things. You're doing kind of the right motions and the right things. But are you totally rooted in my love? Right? Are you totally rooted in that place? Because I think what's sort of happened the last hundred years is we focus so much on eternity. We focus so much on getting your ticket to the afterlife that we forgot that we actually have a life to live here and now. That we've kind of left that behind where we read the right things and we sing the right songs and we have the right moral bent and we, we judge uh, in certain ways, and we've done all these things, but I feel like we've lost our love. Because if you were to go out into the world and you were asked people to describe what is a Christian or what is a church, especially in today's climate, I don't think they would use the word love. I know they wouldn't use that word. And so how can we recapture that? Because I'm telling you, we have to be so rooted in love Because when we are rooted in that, you know what happens? Jesus uses that internal compass in our life. And I fear that we've become so routine in coming to a room like this that we've forgotten to love those furthest. I was in a room this week with some social workers uh, talking about a couple kids that I'm connected to. And the kids are in the foster care system and the social workers told me, We do not have a home for either one of these kids in all of Lincoln. There's not a single family in all of Lincoln that will take either one of these kids. And now one of the kids has pretty severe uh, mental disabilities. The other one has very, very severe behavioral problems. Now, uh, I understand how complicated and how hard and difficult it is, but there's not one family in all of Lincoln And so there was a woman sitting right next to me. She was a social worker from one of the agencies in town that's a Christian agency. And I said, really, you guys don't have a single family in all of Lincoln that will take either one of these kids? And she said, no. She said, no. And now I'm not trying to guilt trip you. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is uh, we have orphans in our city. We have kids in our city that literally have nowhere to go, that people are panicking, trying to find a place for them to go. And I wonder if we truly do some self-reflection, are we actually living in that heroic love? Are we actually allowing Jesus to transform our hearts, to live in that love and allow him to actually cause us to do something about it? Because when we do that, I'm telling you, it's so messy and it's so hard and it's so complicated. Like this week has been so rough. We were connected to one family Uh, who lost their house, and a bunch of us were trying to figure out long-term sustainability for them. We had these plans, and then they just sort of like skipped town. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, why don't you just, why don't you just embrace this, right? You have experts who are giving you advice, and you're choosing the opposite right now. And then I had another uh, guy that I've been working with for about a year, and he was sort of up and down in his life, and, uh, about three months ago, Mosaic helped get him into his own place. We, we helped with some of the security deposit. Um, and he just sort of disappeared. Stopped returning my phone calls, stopped returning my text messages. And I would probably call him once every couple weeks or send him a text, send him a Facebook message, try to get a hold of him. I, I haven't heard from him until last night. At like 9.30 at night, he sends me a text message that 
He fell off the wagon, started using heavily again, and he's going to jail on Monday, and he needed some prayer. And so I understand, like, when we choose this life, it becomes so difficult. I, one of the guys in our community, his name, is, uh, his name is Max, and he works for an immigration uh, nonprofit here in town. And he was just talking about just the difficulty of the last two weeks and the messiness of the last two weeks. So when we choose to say yes to this heroic love, just know, right, how difficult it actually is. But when I watch a movie, especially if you watch any one of those movies that's, that people posted about on, on that comment thread, every single one of them, they're in this place where they have a choice to make. They can choose apathy or they can choose courage. They have this tension in their life. And most of the time, those people chose this courageous love. And now it's easy to watch a movie and see this happen. But now, for you, for me, what is that decision you need to make in your life? What is that place of apathy? And what is that decision you have to make of courage? Like, what is that thing that Jesus is pulling you towards? What is that place where your internal compass, that feeling inside of love for someone needs to step into a courageous act now, where that feeling needs to meet action. What is that for you? Uh, One of the most fascinating books of the Bible that I've just been falling madly in love with the last three, four months is the book of Leviticus, which is really kind of weird to say because it's typically the book of the Bible that no one knows, that I always avoided, because it's kind of a strange book in the Bible uh, that it's very difficult for us to understand in our context. And, uh, um, and, and the thing that's beautiful about this book is when you actually compare it to the time period and just how progressive it was. Because what God is calling Israel to do is like, all the other nations are doing this, right? I'm calling you to that. And it doesn't always feel like that in a world that we live today, but God is saying, I want you to be a nation that is unlike any other nation in the world. And what's fascinating is, I I was listening to this rabbi talk about Leviticus this week, and he was saying that in Hebrew, so that's the Hebrew word for Leviticus, um, the original Hebrew name is actually, uh, he called, which is God called Moses. So he called. Um, And so what's interesting is, uh, so Hebrew is read from left, from right, from right to left. And so this letter right here, uh, which is at the very, very, very be- uh, end, actually, because you read it from right, right to left, um, it's written smaller. So a lot, of, a lot of these Torahs that are written by scribes, they'll, they'll write it smaller. The last letter, they write smaller. And now there's a couple theories as to why they do that. And theory number one is the humility of Moses, that God called Moses, right? So it's the humility of Moses. But then there's another theory, which is the power of human action. That that some of the most courageous decisions that we can make are some of the smallest decisions. That they look like it's one of the smallest decisions, but ends up being one of the biggest. And so, for you in your life, right, what are those small decisions that you need to make? Because I think sometimes it seems very, very stressful to say, oh my goodness, I have to do these big, huge, heroic acts. But what has God placed in front of you already that you need to step into? 
What person do you need to be reconciled to? What coworker do you need to start reaching out to that you see? What person do you walk by every single day? Who's that kid at your school that's being bullied that you need to step in and do something about it, do something small? And so the way, how I want to end our time together is I want us to read through this section right in the middle of the book of Leviticus, which is called the Holiness Code, which is what God is saying, these are some of the small actions that I want you to take that will have huge ramifications in the world that we live in. And I wonder just how, as we're reading it together, how God will speak to you, how God will shift that internal compass in your heart and begin to speak about those things that he's calling you into, those courageous acts of love that he wants you to say yes to today. The Lord also said to Moses, give the following instruction to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must show great respect to your mother and father and must always observe my Sabbath days of rest. When was the last time you had a day of rest? I am the Lord your God. Do not put your trust in idols or make metal images of gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you harvest the crop of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigners living among you. What is your crop? What is your grape that you need to leave for someone else? Do not steal. Do not cheat or deceive one another. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Get paid every day? Oh, yeah. Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. I am, I am the Lord. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and the powerful. Always judge people fairly. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites. And love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So as we close today, the, the, the tr- truth that I want us to really sink in is that even if you don't choose to live heroically, even if you don't choose to love anyone, God does not love you less for that. And even if you choose the most heroic life, even if every single day you choose to love people and you're an amazing person, God does not love you more because you make that decision. Being rooted in the love that Jesus has for us says that Jesus loves you no matter what. Jesus has loved us while we were still sinners. Jesus loves you always. And let that drive you towards good deeds. Let that truth sink in. Let that truth 
guide you towards those things so that it's not empty, it's not hollow, it's not shallow. You're not just doing it out of routine. You're not doing it because you feel like you have to do it. You're doing it because you desperately want to do it. What is that thing that you feel God speaking to you, stirring inside of you right now, today, that you need to step into this week? That on Tuesday, on Valentine's Day, we can choose heroic love. We can choose to step out and live a life where feelings and actions get married and we choose to live the heroic life that Jesus is calling us to. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much that you first loved us, that there was nothing, and then you created everything. That with the dirt, you formed man, and you breathed the breath of life into our lungs. And every day, God, help us to reflect and remember just how much you love us, that you took on flesh for us, that you went to a cross for us, that we can experience forgiveness for all the times that we miss the mark, and that you are always there. You are always operating that internal compass in our hearts. And so God, I I pray today that you will speak individually to each one of us in the room. My prayer is that we have the courage to open our ears and we have the courage to say, Jesus, maybe I should say that again. (laughs) But Jesus, that our ears be open and we would say we want to live a courageous life. And so I pray that we will just be saturated in your love and we will sit in your love and we will embrace your love. And that in the midst of that, I pray that we pray a simple prayer, every single one of us in this room, that we say, Jesus, we want to follow you. Jesus, we want to live the life that you lived. We want to love the world like you love the world, Jesus. We want to live a courageous love. And so, Jesus, I pray that you will put a person in our mind right now. You will pop a name in our heads. You will reveal an area of our life that we need to give up in order to do what you are calling us to do, maybe. But I pray that individually, because all of our contexts are so different, that you will speak to us. And I pray that we have the courage to say yes to that still, small voice in our soul right now. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.